Hello, welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. Today's message, the text is John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. And we're right here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And the title of the message is An Inadequate Faith. Please enjoy. John chapter number 2. All right, if you have your places in the scripture, one last time I'm going to ask you to stand in respect and reverence to the word of God. We're going to read our scripture, pray, and then sit back down. Bible says in John chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse number 23, so at the bottom of the chapter. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. The title of the message this morning is An Inadequate Faith. An Inadequate Faith. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, once again we bow our heads and close our eyes, Lord, to come before you today. Lord, we pray that you clear our hearts and clear our minds of everything going on in our lives. And Lord, allow us to focus solely on the Word of God this morning. Help us for our, to open our hearts up to receive this, what the Spirit has to tell us today. And may the Holy Ghost of God teach the Word of God to us. Thank you for giving us a a Bible, Lord. Thank you for giving us your Word. May we listen to it and take it into our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. When I was in Bible college, me and Miss Emily were dating. And my vehicle broke down. So in order to get to work, I had to borrow her Uncle Bill and Aunt Cecilia's truck. And so he had a little Ford Ranger pickup that I borrowed, and I I took it to work. And uh, I got pulled over. It wasn't my fault. I know people say that, but I mean it. I didn't do any. I forget the reason why he pulled me over. But it's not like I had done anything wrong. He pulled me over for some reason. Hush, woman. Was I for real speeding? Oh, she don't know. She's, she don't know. Long tongue heifer. No. But, uh, but anyway, so what had happened, I got pulled over for some reason. So I got pulled over, and then the police officer asked me for uh, proof of insurance. So this isn't my truck. So I'm digging in the console, I'm pulling everything out of the glove box, I'm pulling the visor down, I'm looking behind the mirror, and I cannot find this proof of insurance. Well, the police officer can see the writing on the wall, so he goes back to his car and comes back later. Well, I've got uh, Uncle Bill on the phone talking to him, and, 
And he's saying, well, the proof of insurance isn't in the truck and it's on speaker and the cops hearing it. And he's saying the policy number is such and such policy number and the expiration date is such and this. And it's with this company and 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 all of this stuff. And he's given over the phone all of this information to the police officer and he's got the insurance card in his hand. But it wasn't enough. And I still got a ticket for no insurance. Now, I did go to court and I did prove that I was insured when I was pulled over. So that got thrown out. But in the moment, all of that other stuff, it wasn't good enough. It was inadequate. If I didn't have the card, I was getting a ticket So when we come in John, especially in the first couple chapters of John, we're coming into the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Of course, we know the first miracle was the wedding at Cana where the uh, the water was turned into wine. Not very, uh, very, very soon after the water was turned into wine became the first Passover in Jesus' ministry. And it was at this Passover, it was the first time He overthrew the tables and chased the money changers out of the temple. And word of this man Jesus had begun to spread across the land of Israel. And He had begun to do miracles and do many signs. And word of this had begun to spread. And His popularity was, uh, was, was beginning to get more and more prevalent in the society. And uh, what we're going to see right here at the beginning of John, we see something kind of unsettling. I'm going to show you at the beginning of John, we see something kind of kind of scary. Because at the end of the second chapter of John, right at the beginning of this book, we see something that should kind of rock us. We see something that, that kind of should frighten us just a little bit. Why? Because you ever, you ever heard the old saying, all you need is faith and faith is all you need. Well, apparently Jesus is about to tell us not all faith is good enough. He is about to tell us that there is a form of faith. There is a type of faith that is inadequate. There is a form of faith and there is a type of faith that is just not quite good enough. But man, I mean, I thought all you needed was faith. Now you just need faith as a grain of a mustard seed. You just need just a little bit of faith. And I thought faith was faith. And, but apparently faith isn't just faith. Apparently, there's a type of faith that is unacceptable. There is a type of faith that is, that, is, that is unacceptable. It is rejected. It is turned away. Uh, turned away. There's a type of faith that Jesus looked at that faith and says, Oh, no, thank you. I'm good. I'm good. There's a type of faith that is not good enough. There is a type of faith quite frankly, that will send you to hell. There is. I'm going to jump right into the message this morning, and I have three observations from the text this morning. 
Point number one, we're going to call a bias belief. A bias belief. Look with me, if you would, please, in uh, verse number 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at Passover during the feast. Now, let's stop right there. The Gospel of John records three Passovers. These are the three Passovers in Jesus' earthly ministry. Okay? We've got John chapter 2, that first Passover. Second Passover is John chapter 6. And the third Passover starts in John chapter 11 and kind of goes on through the rest of John because that was the Passover where he, you know, the Passover where he died at. So, but the first Passover, the first Passover of his earthly ministry is only recorded here in John. And our best guess at the date is April 29th, 29 A.D. Now, why in the world did Jesus go to Passover? Jesus went to Passover because Jesus was a Jew. And so he was a Jew and he did what Jews do. And Jews go to Passover and he came to fulfill the law. Me and you aren't Jewish. We do not have to go to Passover because Jesus fulfilled the law. We all the, I'm, I'm discussing uh, with, with certain people the difference between ceremonial law and moral law and all the law in the Bible that makes you Jewish. You don't have to obey that anymore. Jesus fulfilled that. Okay? But Jesus at this time, he's going to Passover because he's Jewish. And this is interesting that this was the first time that Jesus overthrew the money changers table. Now, some people would say he only did this once, but I kind of think that he did it more than once, and I'll explain why. You first got to understand why were the money changer tables in the temple to begin with? Well, the priests were very corrupt. They were very corrupt priests. And so what they would do is you would bring your sacrifice into the temple and they would find something wrong with it. Even if, that, even if there wasn't something wrong with it, they would find something wrong with it. Almost like you take your car to these shady oil chain shops and they'll just find something wrong with the car. Not my oil chain shop. Mine's different. Mine's different. But, uh, but it's kind of like that. And they would find something wrong with the sacrifice, there's a little blemish here. And what they would do is they would direct you down to buy sacrifices from these guys over here. But these guys who were selling the sacrifices were given a cut to the priests. So every time they sent someone to buy a sacrifice from these guys, the priests had their dirty little paws in it and would get a cut. But you see, not only that, you couldn't spend your money. You had to spend temple money. And so what you had to do is you had to go and you had to exchange your money for temple money. And that's what you used to buy the sacrifice. And it was a very, very crooked, crooked system. And they were just greedy of filthy lucre. And so it was a very corrupt system. So this is what made Jesus so angry that he overturned the money changers table and he made a whip and he drove the people out of the temple. 
Now, Luke records that he did this again at the third Passover. Now, some people say, oh, well, Jesus only did this once, but in John it's out of chronological order. Some people say that. Um, I don't believe that. One of the reasons why I don't hold to that is because in both instances Jesus said a different thing. He didn't say the same thing in both accounts. In both accounts he said, he said different things. And also if it stands to reason, if Jesus seeing money changers in the temple made him mad once, don't you think he'd get mad if he's seen it happen again? So, you know, he got mad and he, he, he oh, you get on to your kids for something once. And then when they do it again, you don't say, oh, well, I've already gotten on to you once about that. So go ahead. No, no, you get mad again. OK, let's continue in verse number 23. Now, this is a profound statement right here. This is a statement we're about to read that you think would make Jesus extremely happy. Man, listen to the words we're about to read. It says, many, not a few, many believed in his name. Wow, that's great. That's wonderful news. That's great news. That should make us jump up and down. Jesus should be doing cartwheels. The word of God says many believed in his name. That's what Jesus came for. Jesus came so that many would believe in his name. He came to seek and save that which was lost. After all, that's all it takes to get saved, right? Is faith. You believing faith? John 1.12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Man, so many believed in his name. Jesus should be thrilled. Jesus should be ecstatic. Jesus should be overjoyed at this. But he wasn't. In fact, Jesus was very, very unimpressed. He was very, very unimpressed. In fact, that word believe in verse 23 is the Greek word pistiwo. Pistiwo means trust, confidence, belief, and faith. So that's what these people had. These people had confidence in Jesus. These people had belief in Jesus. These people had faith in Jesus. They had, they, they had all this stuff in Jesus. And Jesus' reaction was, no thank you. Jesus' reaction was to reject them. What does this imply? This implies that there's a type of faith that Jesus does not want. There is a type of faith that Jesus, he rejects it, he denies it, he dismisses it, he refuses it, he looks at it, and he says, no thank you, no thank you, I'm good, okay? Like somebody giving me some coconut, no thank you. It's not a taste, it's a texture thing. I like coconut flavor, but you just, you, you know, you eat coconut, it's like you're chewing on a wad of paper, okay? Now, if I'm in your home and you give me some coconut pie, I'm going to eat it, 
because you gave it to me. I'm not going to tell you I don't like it, but you can refer back to this sermon. Um, but, but the thing is, is that, you know, he just said, no, thank you. So this faith that this group of people gave Jesus was empty. This faith that this group of people gave Jesus, it was empty. Why? It was because of the reason of their faith. The verse says, many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. They only had faith because of the signs. That was it. They only had faith because of the signs. They wanted miracles. They wanted signs. They wanted a show. They wanted entertainment. They wanted food. They wanted healing. They wanted a feeling. They wanted to feel it. They wanted what they could get out of it. You know, it says that he did many signs in, uh, in, in, in among them in Jerusalem, but the signs that it's referring to in that verse, they're not recorded in John. They're not recorded. Why? Because it's not about the signs. It's about who the sign points to. It's not about the sign. It's about who the sign points to. I remember... I was going through my papa's, uh, uh, he had passed away, and I was going through his shop, and I found in there a big stop sign. And, you know, I'm 16 years old. I'm like, this is going on my wall in my room. So I got the stop sign. I put it in the truck. I drove to my house. I said, well... My stepdad's not going to let me put it up in my room at his house. I'll go put it in my dad's room, in my room at my dad's house. So I drove to my dad's house, okay? Uh, was the worst kid, had two, you know, two houses. And so I go to my room at my dad's house, and I wasn't trying to hide it or anything. I was just trying to look for a place to put it, so I slid it under my bed. Because I, I was just, well, I get it out of the way till I can hang it. My dad found it. And he flipped out. Don't you know if they ever find the stop sign in here and somebody died at that intersection, they'll get you for murder? And he's right. He's right about that. You don't go taking down stop signs. Somebody, you take down a stop sign, somebody goes through that in intersection and loses their life, you get charged for that. So he was absolutely true. But I was like, I didn't take it down. I just found it. It doesn't matter. You're still liable for it. It's in your possession. So the stop sign didn't get hung. Okay, it didn't get hung. I don't know what, it disappeared. I don't know what happened to it. Okay. But see, these people were looking at the sign, but not paying attention what the sign was pointing to. They were missing what the sign stood for. And this is so prevalent in our society today is we're looking at the signs and we seek a sign and we seek a miracle and we seek a feeling and we seek a thrill and we're not paying attention to who the sign is pointing at. And in today's churches, we see the man and not the message. 
We love the song, but ignore the worship. We seek a blessing, and we forget the grace. We follow after freedom, but we overlook sin. We want the gift, but not the giver. We desire fellowship, but ignore righteousness. We want to hold up the book, but reject what it says. And we're looking at the sign instead of who the sign is pointing to. Well, let's see what Jesus had to say about this type of biased belief. Verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, stopped. That's interesting. But Jesus, on his part, Jesus has a part in their belief. Jesus has a part in their belief. Now, I understand that Jesus is the author of eternal salvation. Uh, that's in Hebrews 5, 9. So he, he died on the cross. He, he was the sacrifice. He provided that sacrifice for us. He's the author of eternal salvation. I understand that. But more basic, your belief is because of God. Okay? Your belief is because of God. I'm specifically talking about our faith. John 6, 65, for this reason, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it had been granted him from the father. You understand that you are not saved unless God called you to salvation. Second uh, uh, Thessalonians 2.14 It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He calls us. It's called conviction. It's called that calling. It's called conviction of the Holy Spirit. And do you know what a profession of faith is without conviction? It becomes a profession of convenience. Profession of faith without the, without the calling of the Holy Spirit, without the conviction of God, that just means a profession. I'm just professing faith so I can get the church to pay my light bill. I'm professing faith in Christ so I can fix my marriage. I'm professing faith in Christ so I can fix a relationship in my life. I'm professing a faith in Christ so I can be like everybody else. That was me. That was my first. I made a false profession of faith. That's because I want to be like all my friends in church. But I was lost. I told people I was saved, but I was still lost. I made a false profession of faith. There was no conviction. There was no calling. It was an inadequate faith. But unless you have conviction of the Holy Spirit, unless there is a hunger, unless there is a thirst for Jesus, unless you have a real repentance of sin, then it's fake. It's a fake profession of faith. Unless He does His part, it's fake. Let me tell you something that Jesus is not. Jesus is not your get-out-of-jail-free card. Jesus is not your Band-Aid. He's not your Band-Aid. Now, Band-Aids don't work at my shop. you got to do the Band-Aid, but then you got to get the electrical tape. Put the electrical. When you're working with oil and grease, that Band-Aid ain't going to stay on there. you got to get that electrical tape put it on there. 
Jesus is not your Band-Aid. Jesus is not your roll of electricity tape. That's not what he is. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them. Now, that word entrusting there is another very compelling word. Maybe your, maybe your translation says commit. But you know, in Greek, the word entrusting there in verse 24, guess what? It's the same word as believe in verse 23, which is uh, pistiwo. It's the same word. It means trust, confidence, belief, faith. So what is Jesus saying to these people that have inadequate faith, that have a biased belief? He's saying, you may believe in me, but I don't believe in you. You may have faith in me, but I don't have faith in you. You may trust in me, but guess what? I don't trust in you. I don't do that. I'm sorry. I don't have any faith in you. What a sad state is that. But it is so common today. Faith without familiarity. Belief without intimacy. It sounds so hollow, doesn't it? It sounds so empty and it sounds so meaningless. And many today have that type of faith and many will stand at the judgment and they will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and in your name have done many mighty works? And he will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Yes, you had a form of faith, but it wasn't good enough. It was inadequate. It was empty and it was meaningless. Because you sought after signs and you never looked at who the sign was pointing to. Man, I almost wish we had an example of this. I almost wish John would have provided us an illustration like he would have provided us an example of this type of person so we know what it looks like. Well, guess what? He did. The second part, the second point of my message, we're going to call the sign seeker. We're going to see what a sign seeker looks at. We're fixing to see an example of one. Let's read starting in verse uh, 24. For he knew all men, and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now, if you stopped right there, you're going to miss something. I want you to understand, and it's very hard for us to grasp this, because of our, just our analytical, organizational type OCD. You don't know, I'm very OCD. Sometimes I'll close a hood and I'll go back and I'll say, 30 seconds, could you pop your hood? Let me recheck your oil because I didn't say oil full out loud. I'm very OCD when it comes to that. But we, we, that's the type of people we are. And so sometimes we forget that when the gospel of John was written, it was not written with chapter divisions. It was not written with verse. It was written as, with verse divisions. It was written as one long letter. 
So let's ignore those, shall we? Because those were added in later. And we read, if we read it like that, it says, For he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. It goes right into giving you an example of the people that he was just talking about. And it's this guy named Nicodemus. John is trying to convert people with this book so he's not going to give you the problem and then not give you an illustration of the problem and not give you a solution to the problem. So this kind of faith is so bad that here's an example of someone who had that type of faith and overcame it. So I'm giving you a solution. This is someone like that who is genuinely converted. If the sign seekers back in chapter 2, verse 23, had a football team, guess what? Nicodemus would have been the football captain. He would have been captain of that football team. Let's make some observations about old Nicodemus. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now we talked about we talked about the Pharisees last Sunday and all their, all their extra things they did and they obeyed this spoken word law that was passed down by the word of mouth that became the Mishnah and the Talmud that's not in the word of God. We talked about that last week. So Nicodemus, you got to remember, not only was he a Pharisaical Jew, Nicodemus was also a member of the Sanhedrin. It's where it says he was a, not only a Pharisee, but he was a ruler of the Jews. He's a ruler of the Jews because he was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the, the ruling the, uh, political uh, ruling party of the Jews. But he was also this pious, holier-than-thou Pharisee that we see all throughout Scripture. So what was he? He was religious but he was not spiritual. Why? Because unconverted, he's a natural man. He can, be, he can be as religious as you want him to be, but guess what? That doesn't make him spiritual. See, because when you're unconverted, when you're unregenerated, and when you're not a child of God, and you haven't accepted Christ in your heart and, be, and, and gotten saved yet, you're a natural man. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Does that not ever, does that not sound like Nicodemus? Man, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus and he was putting things on the bottom shelf for him. Man, Jesus was, was, was putting things down for Nicodemus and giving him worldly illustrations and trying to explain things to him just as best as he could. And Nicodemus was like, huh? What? How can these things be? What's going on? How are you doing this? How can we be born and enter into our mom again? How can these things be? And Jesus was like, aren't you a teacher of Israel? <laughs> you don't understand these things. Aren't you a... Aren't you a teacher? He couldn't grasp it. Why? Because at that point, he was still unconverted. He was, he was getting there, but he wasn't there yet. Now, here's another thing about Nicodemus. Nicodemus had power, 
He had prestige and he had position. These are the things that sign seekers seek after. That's, that's what they seek after. They seek after power, prestige, and position. Like, like Diotrephes in 3 John, where it says, Who loveth to have the preeminence among them, but does not accept what we say. Diotrephes, man, he wanted the preeminence. Man, he wanted you to say his name from the pulpit. He wanted, uh, he wanted to be, he wanted the name tag. See my name tag? See, it says Elder Diotrephes right there. And I want the position, and I want the power, and I want the preeminent, and I want the prestige. And this is what sign seekers seek after. Let's continue reading in chapter 3, verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, you know what else influences a sign seeker? Peer pressure. Peer pressure. Mob mentality. What's popular? What's, uh, what else is, what's everybody else doing? What's trendy? Now look, I'm not up here saying you can't update. You can't modernize. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is that's not the most important thing. It's really not. Now, Nicodemus, he almost missed an eternal appointment he had with eternity. He had an eternal appointment to meet Jesus and get saved and get a home in heaven, but he almost missed it because of what everybody else thought. So he had to come to Jesus by night. What Paul say in Galatians 1.10, for, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I wouldn't have become a servant of Christ. And Paul's got a point. If I'm trying to please man, I wouldn't be going to church. If I'm trying to please man, I wouldn't be preaching behind a pulpit. If I was trying to please man, I wouldn't be trying to convince you that somebody rose from the dead. I wouldn't do that if I was trying to please man. Who's influencing your decisions? Who are you trying to please? Are you trying to please others or God? Are you trying to please your spouse or God? Are you trying to please yourself or God? If you please God, you'll please your spouse. If you please God, you'll please others. If you please God, but God is first. Okay? This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi. Oh, and you know, he called Jesus. He said, Rabbi. You know, he's, Nicodemus is all about the titles. Ooh, Rabbi, we know that you are come from God as a teacher. We know that you have come from God as a teacher. Now, Nicodemus, still lost at this point, by the way, calls Jesus a teacher. He didn't call him God. He didn't call him Savior. He didn't call him Messiah. He didn't call him Creator. He didn't call him the I Am. He called him a teacher. 
And guess what, Nicodemus? That's not good enough. That's inadequate. It's inadequate faith. It's not good enough. Jesus is more than just a teacher. Pious Jews today, they still look at Jesus as a teacher. You know who else looks at Jesus as a good teacher? The Muslims do. The Muslims will openly admit that, uh, that Jesus is a, was a great teacher, but on the Dome of the Rock where the temple should be, inscribed on the Dome of the Rock mosque is the words, God does not have a son. They look at Jesus as a teacher, so we know that's not enough. What is that a symptom of? When Nicodemus calls Jesus just a good teacher, what is that a symptom of? I'll tell you what it is. It is a symptom of Jesus not having enough authority in your life. It is a symptom of Jesus not having enough authority in your life. Oh, I love Jesus. I sing in church. I listen to K-Love. I got WWJD bracelet and a bumper sticker. What would Jesus do? I tithe. But he can't tell me how to live my life. He can't tell me how to live my life. He isn't going to tell me I can't do something that I want to do. He isn't going to do that. Oh, his book. Oh, man, his book is beautiful. It's poetic. Man, I read my daily bread booklet every morning. I read it every day. So we can take his word seriously, but not literally. I'll tell you what, let's do. Let's keep the points we agree with. Throw the rest out. Man, all the rest of that stuff, it's old. It's archaic. It, it's, it doesn't fit the times. It's offensive. Some of the stuff in the Bible is offensive. So we can either choose to ignore it or get rid of it. And when you do that, you know what the problem is? Is that Jesus doesn't have any authority in your life. Because you have inadequate faith. When you can take this book and say, man, some of this is some good stuff. Man, Jesus, man, when I read the Beatitudes, blessed is the meek. They shall inherit the earth. And blessed are the peacemakers and all the stuff about love. Man, Jesus had some good stuff about love in here. Loving everybody. Oh, and that do not judge. Oh, man, I love that don't judge verse. Man, Jesus was right on the money with not judging. Don't judge, people. Jesus was a good teacher. But because he wasn't my God, I'm not going to listen to the stuff that I don't like. Because he's not my Messiah, some of this stuff is just outdated. I'm, I'm going to ignore it. Husband is the head of the home? Don't cancel me, not yet. Don't cancel me yet. Is Jesus your teacher or is he your God?
Is he your teacher? Or is he the Savior? Is he your teacher or is he the creator of the universe? Because if he's the creator, and if he's the Messiah, and if he is God, then every word in this book is true. But if he's not, if he's just a good teacher, well, then I can take or leave what I like and don't like. See, a sign seeker, Jesus has no authority in their life. That's why their faith is inadequate. That's why their faith is not good enough. That's why they offer their faith to Jesus and Jesus says, no, thank you. You can keep that. I don't want it. Back to chapter 3 and verse 2. For no one could do these signs. Well, looky there. That's what Nicodemus come to Jesus about. He come to Jesus about the signs. There he goes, bringing up the signs again. No one can do these signs. Let me tell you something about a sign seeker. Unless God gets a hold of them, they're going to jump from one sign to another, to another, to another, and they're going to hop around and jump from sign to sign, almost like the guy that gets bored with his life, so he trades her in for a younger one. Just jumping around, jumpy, 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 grass is greener on the other side, jumping from one thing after another after another to something else. Why? Because sign seekers get bored after a while. They've got ADD. Maybe they've got ADHD. Uh, my mom gave, uh, gave me Ritalin when I was a kid. That's what she named the paddle. That was a joke. She, my paddle wasn't named Ritalin. But, uh, but you know, so, but, but, but what I'm saying is, is that, you know, and, and I say that as a joke. I know that there are conditions that require, I understand that. Most of it is just no discipline, though. But I understand that I'm not a doctor and there are certain situations where, you know, we need to seek medical help. So I'm not I'm not trying to put down anybody like that. But I'm saying the biggest problem is no discipline. I think that's what's wrong with most children, not all, but most. So um, so what I'm saying here is, is they get bored. And they have a short attention span when they don't see what they want to see. They're ready to jump to the next thing. They only want Jesus if he comes with flash. They only want Jesus if he comes with pizzazz. And in John 6, he calls them out. John 6, Jesus stands up and he says, You only follow me not because of the signs, but because you ate and were filled. You ate of the bread, and that's why you follow me. And then Jesus went into, guess what? I am the bread of life. You will eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And the disciples afterwards, they said, oh, that was a hard saying there, Jesus. That was, that was, that was a difficult thing that you just said that was, that was kind of difficult. But you know what? You know what happened after Jesus said that? All the sign seekers left. When the miracle stopped and the sign stopped and the entertainment stopped and the show stopped and hard truth began to be taught, 
Jesus turned around and the only people that were left were the 12. He even looked at the 12 and said, will ye also leave me? They were the only ones left. When the miracle stopped and the sign stopped, the sign seekers left. You are either here for Jesus to accomplish a goal for you or Jesus is the goal. You understand that? You're either here for him to do something for you or you're here because of him. It's not that you're trying to attain something and you need his help. He is the goal for you. He is the goal. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Let's think about that for a second. Is that a true statement? It's in the word of God, I know, but Nicodemus said it. Is that true? That no one can do these signs unless God is with him? Well, 2 Thessalonians 2.9 says, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. So yes, someone not of God can do these miracles. Someone not of God can do these signs. And there are churches and preachers and religious organizations that promote an inadequate faith They promote a prosperity gospel that Jesus is here to serve your flesh and repentance of sin and holiness and righteousness is not necessary. And they preach it and they promote it. I was in, we we took, Colin had a birthday. I have a teenager. You believe that? I have a teenager. He hasn't got his spanking yet, McKenna. So we got to get him, okay? I got to get him. But we, was, we went down to the Audubon Zoo the other day, had a great time. But I was coming back, you know, Siri takes you through all, every road back up in there, you know, just, and you just tr- talk about faith. You're putting your faith in Siri. You don't know where you're at. You just got to, okay. And uh, so you're just going around, and I come upon this church, and no lie, you know what the title of the church was? Eat, drink, and congregate. Just, let's just eat, drink, and be merry. Let's just do that. Let's just, let's just, oh, man. Man, whatever you feel, whatever you think, your heart is more important it's whatever you feel. It's whatever you think. That's more important than what the Scripture says. We can call ourselves a church and we can say the name Jesus and call ourselves a church. On the outside, it looks like Nicodemus. But on the inside, they're just as bewildered as what Jesus says as Nicodemus was. When Jesus talks, just like Nicodemus, they're like, huh? They're like, what? How can these things be? Let me go to my third point this morning. 
We're going to third and final point. We're going to call this a divine discerner. Let's go back up to verse 24, the the last part of verse 24. For he knows all men. Jesus knows the real us. Jesus knows the real us. Jesus can peer into our heart. Jesus can peer into our soul. Jesus can peer into our innermost being. He knows our wickedness. He knows our weakness. He knows our waywardness. In fact, back in, back in John chapter 6, when he's calling out all the fakes, he calls out, all the, he calls out the biggest fake of all of them. In John 6, 64, he says, But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe, and who it was that was to betray him. Jesus knew, called out Judas. Now, Judas, Judas Iscariot is very interesting. He was a disciple of Christ. He was one of the twelve. So not only was he one of the twelve, but uh, he saw the miracles. He cast out demons. He preached the word. But also, he sought out the money bag because he was a thief. And he got on to Mary for washing Jesus' feet with the ointment because she wasted such expensive ointment because he carried the money bag. He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So Judas, he was fake. He had everybody fooled. At, at, at the Last Supper, they were looking, when Jesus said someone was going to betray him, they didn't say, oh, was it Judas? They said, is it I? Was it me? They didn't know. They didn't. Jesus, Judas had everybody fooled. But Jesus can look into the heart. And Jesus can look into the soul. And Jesus knows man. Let me tell you something. If all you seek is the exciting if all you seek is the spectacular, if all you seek is the dramatic, if all you seek is, uh, is the eye-catching, if, if you are only here as a thrill-seeker, and if you're using Jesus to satisfy your flesh, He knows. He knows. Verse 25, And because He did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for He Himself knew what was in man. You have no secrets from Christ. He knows your, inner, your private inner life. Do you know, I, I, sometimes I love to say this because to me it's so true. You know who you really are? When you are by yourself behind closed doors, that's who you really are. When no one can see you, that is the real you. Well, somebody can see you. Jesus can. Jesus knows the real you. He knows who you really are. And did you know that to search the heart of man is the prerogative of God? It is the prerogative of God to search mine in your heart. Hebrews 4.13, And there is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. It's His prerogative to peer inside your heart. When I do it, I'm stepping on the prerogative of God. When I try to look in your heart, and I try to judge what's in your heart, 
then what I'm doing is I'm stepping on the prerogative of God. It's not my prerogative to judge your heart, whether it's real or not, to peer inside your soul and decide whether you're real or fake. That's not my prerogative, but it is the prerogative of God. It's the prerogative of Jesus Christ to peer into your heart, and, and, and that is His job to do. You see, that's what makes Christ the perfect Savior of men. That's what makes him perfect for the job, like a doctor that knows uh, the human body. Man, my knee was hurting, and I went to Dale, and he sit me up on that table, and he took his little thumbs, and he started pressing on my knees. Does it hurt here? No. Does it hurt here? No. But the, he took that thumb, and he put it on one spot, and man, he pushed on it, and he said, does it hurt here? I was like, oh, yeah, it hurts. You got it. That's the tender spot. And as soon as I told him that, he's like, oh, I know what you got. Old Uncle Arthur's done moved in. Uncle Arthritis. And so he put me on that, put me on that medicine. And now I, I'm feeling a lot better. But like a doctor who knows the human body, Jesus has perfect knowledge of us. He knows what's in me. He knows what I'm capable of. But he also knows what trips me up. He knows what trips me up. He was tempted in all points, just like I was tempted. Who better to be a judge than someone we can't lie to? Who better to be our judge than somebody we can't tell a falsehood to? Have you ever went in front of the grocery store? And you've seen the little grocery store rocket ship rides. You put the quarters in. And little kids just like, just so happy. I was a big boy growing up. I was always bigger. It, my mom said it took me longer to learn how to walk. So she had to carry me everywhere. And because I was so big, it looked like she was carrying around a five-year-old. That's what she said. But, man, I would get out there two and three, and I'd want to get in that that rocket ship, and I was kind of a bigger guy, kid, and so it looked like a 12-year-old, you know, in the rocket ship, just shaking in the rocket ship. Well, let me tell you something about Jesus. Jesus is not your grocery store rocket ship. He's not. Because if that's all he is to you, when the quarters run out, you'll get bored and leave. When the quarters run out, You'll get bored and leave. John 8, 30. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews unto, that had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. You want to know what the mark of a true disciple of Christ is? It's someone that will hang around when the quarters run out. They hang around when the quarters run out, when the quarters run dry, when the signs stop and the miracles stop and the show stops and the entertainment stops and the thrill stops and the feeling stops and there's nothing left but the word, the truth of the word of God. Those who are left are the true disciples. The ones that hang around when the quarters run out, the ones that continue in the word. True faith, not inadequate faith, 
True faith is not driven or motivated by signs and miracles and thrills and feelings and entertainment. True faith is driven by the word of God. Romans 10, 13, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Why are you here? Is it a hunger? Is it a thirst for that book? If it's for any other reason, then we need to examine your faith. We need to examine your faith you had to begin with. So what did, let me bring this home. What, 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 did, Nicod, what did Jesus tell Nicodemus? Of course, he told him, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Over in John 6.40, when he called out this crowd, he said to them, um, he told them, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise, up, will raise Him up on the last day. Saving faith is still simple. It's still very simple. You just don't believe in the sign. You believe in who the sign points to. It's not about religion. It's not about the church. And it's not, a, it's not about how religion, the church, and Christianity can make you feel. That's not what it's about. It's about accepting his sacrifice on the cross. It's about having a faith having faith that he died, was buried, and that he rose from the dead on the third day. It's about turning your back in repentance on sin in this world and turning in faith to Jesus Christ. And when you do that, He comes and He lives inside of you and the Gospel comes in your life and the Gospel begins to change your life from the inside out. And when the Gospel changes you, oh, don't worry about it. You'll see signs. You'll see miracles. You're still going to see all that stuff. It's just that that's not what drives you. You'll still see signs and miracles, but that's not what motivates you. What motivates a true disciple, what motivates true faith is the Word of God. And then, not only will you believe in Jesus, but Jesus will believe in you too.